Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer or artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field, along with contest winners and a few surprise guests. And speaking of surprise guests, I'm very excited here to be able to uh, interview Tom Doherty, publisher of Tor. So welcome, Tom. Uh, good to be here. The kind of thing Writers of the Future is doing is, I think, you know, really uh, so important and uh, great for the future. So with, um, I mean, we met originally, oh, this is many years ago with Writers of the Future when we were at Las Vegas with our, our awards event. And then was it four years ago? That um, you got the Lifetime Achievement, the Owen Hubbard Lifetime Achievement Award? I remember the award uh, ceremony so well, but I, the years run together on me these days. <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, I was, I was amazed uh, to learn that so many of the judges are published by yourself and, and uh, just the whole, you know, oh, Tom, they were all excited that you were going to be here, and especially Scott was so excited, and it was really great that you presented his award to him. You know, it's it's been so much fun. I feel like uh, I've, uh, you know, made kind of a good living uh, playing all my life. <laughs> this is, I, I get to do what I would have done for a hobby if uh, we hadn't been uh, pretty successful at tour. Well, you were very successful. And like we before we started talking here, I, I mentioned I my perspective of you is... Um, you are now to science fiction what John Campbell was to science fiction uh, in the golden age. Just you've taken it to the next level and made it mainstream. It was nothing when John Campbell started and he made it into something. And now you've taken that something and made it into mainstream literature for, for readers. You know, that's a whale of a compliment. John Campbell did so much to start what, uh, what's been carried on by so many great people. The, uh, I was lucky uh, when I was young. I was uh, sales manager for Ian and Betty Ballantyne, who started the first science fiction line, regular book publishing line, mm -hmm. who started the first fantasy line. And uh, they were an amazing couple. And they were an independent company distributed by Simon & Schuster, where I was sales manager. So I got to sell those first uh, lines, sell the first fantasy line and... Uh, sell Tolkien, the first mm. mega bestseller in fantasy, to the general public. And they uh, taught me a lot you wouldn't normally grow, learn growing up on the sales side. Yeah. They were an amazing couple. Can you imagine? They started American Penguin when Ian was 23 and Betty was 19. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, 1939. When, uh, you know, and for Betty, that was a time when it was harder for women to be Anything. Yeah, to be really successful in management, uh, be taken seriously mm -hmm. at the top of management. That's right. And they grew Penguin through World War II and uh, were part of the founders of Armed Services Editions, which got books to millions of... Uh, servicemen. Millions of books to servicemen around the world. And when they came back, they wanted more. <laughs> <laughs> and it did so much for reading and so much yeah. for science fiction because they published science fiction even then. And then uh, after the war, after the war, uh, British Penguin, which had funded their startup of American Penguin, had come on really hard times during the war. They uh -huh. couldn't get paper and, you know, the bombing of London. And they wanted 
Ballantyne to kind of go back to importing, just importing British Penguin. Um, uh, that wasn't for the Ballantynes. So they put Bantam together. And Ian was the first uh, president of Bantam and the Betty the first editorial director. Really? Yeah, yeah. And they grew Bantam to the point where they could... Uh, Bantam, of course, they put it together with a bunch of hardcover publishers mm-hmm. who saw the main function to reprint their hardcover books. But because Ian and Betty wanted to do more of their own thing, when Bantam got big enough, they sold their... 11% of Bantam had started Ballantyne, and all before uh, Betty was 33. Wow. <laughs> so uh, what's inspired Tor? Like, wh- what's the name come from, the whole... How- well, remember, I did grow up on the sales side. Uh-huh. Tor is Gaelic for high rugged crag. It's kind of a beautiful mountain peak picture. Right. And... What I wanted is something that looked attractive and would catch the eye, but that also had only three letters so you could print it big on the spine of a book where people could see it. Wow. And that's why the tour. It wow. seemed like a great image. That's, a, that's a brilliant. And, uh, and it, it, it worked. It did. Yep. Was there, um, like the secret to your secret, probably there's multiple secrets, but um, the thing that you found that was the most... Um, uh, helpful in getting you that that lift and recognition was it the fact that you were mainstream science fiction you went to novels it was an author what was the well I think it was a bunch of things I think uh, I had decided that uh, I was going to start a publishing company we had what had happened actually is I as I was saying I worked my way up in sales started as a salesman for Simon & Schuster and 1957. Mm-hmm. Worked my way up to uh, regional manager and then uh, national sales manager when we were distributing Ballantine. And I always loved science fiction right. and fantasy, and I read a lot of it then and sold it and got to know Ian and Betty and learned from them and uh, got a chance to become uh, the executive vice president of Simon & Schuster, went to Grosset and Dunlap to be president of uh-huh. Grosset. And he called me up one morning and he said, hey, Tom, how'd you like to be a publisher? And I said, hey, that's the name of the game, Harold. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't been looking for a job at all, but I went over there to be publisher. And I was a publisher, uh, among other things, of a young adult line called Tempo. And we began doing, I brought in Harriet McDougall, she's a brilliant young woman editor and we began doing science fiction and fantasy in this young adult line. Mm-hmm. And it was very successful. So they bought us Ace to play with. Ace had kind of come on hard times. So we got to be publisher of Grosset and Ace. And again, we we had uh, authors already there at Ace. We had brought we had signed a bunch of good authors at at uh Tempo, mm-hmm. you know, we were doing books with people like Andrea Norton at Tempo. And, oh, wow. Yeah. She was a judge for the contest. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, A.E. Van Vo and, oh, gosh, you think of some of the old great names. And then we, when we took in Ace, and they had such a nice backlist, and we began to meet so many great authors, and we could continue to carry that forward. And we grow that to the point where... Uh, I could uh, do my own thing. I could borrow the money to start tour. 
Wow. I said, what that? Even then, I hadn't actually been looking to start a company. I had been enjoying what I was doing at Tempo Ace. Mm -hmm. But they changed managements. And uh, I wasn't crazy about the new management, and I decided, hey, uh, I'm going to do my own thing. So that's when I started tour. Right place, right time. And, uh, you know, the, uh, Harriet came with me, and uh, she had gotten divorced and about the same time inherited the house she grew up in in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. This was while we were still at Ace. And uh, it was a lovely old house that had come down. Yeah. It's a historic house in Charleston now. Uh -huh. Had a 500-foot deep walled garden. Wow. In the back, you know, for a while. Wow. And uh, somehow she thought that would be a nicer place to bring up her five-year-old than the walk-up. In Brooklyn, she was living in working for me. So she moved there, but I couldn't lose her because she was so talented. So we started telecommuting before the word was invented. Wow. Now, this was still at Ace. Mm -hmm. So I knew it could work. So when I started Tor, I thought, you know, hey, what is a company? It's really nothing but the sum of the talents of its people. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not like uh, General Motors with huge investment in plant and equipment. You know, we don't do our own printing. Right. <laughs> you know, we didn't do our own warehousing. We, you know, we hired that all. Right. And so I thought, hey, how, how to attract great people to a startup? And... Uh, one of the ways to do it was to let them live the way they wanted to. Beth Meacham had arthritis. Uh, she was running the Berkeley program, and she had arthritis, and she wanted to live in the desert. So I said, sure, Beth, you can go live in the desert. And she was working for us to this day out of Tucson. Harriet was, had come with me. She uh, had uh, met Robert Jordan in a bookstore, and we did his first book at Ace, which was kind of neat. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't fantasy, and it wasn't under the Robert Jordan name. His name was Jim Rigney. And he thought, uh, not to confuse readers, he should have a different pen name for different categories. So we bought two books at Ace from him. And one was a book called Warrior of the Altai, which we're just about to publish, which we just published. Wow. But... Uh, one was the Fallon Blood, and it was the American Revolution in the South. And this uh, was 76, and we were celebrating the bicentennial. And this kind of thing was hot. Mm -hmm. And so we said, of course, this is time sensitive. We got to do the, the historical. And Jordan's historical, under the name Regan O'Neill, uh, sold half a million copies. We had a winner, we had a bestseller. <laughs> So it turned into a trilogy. Wow. We bought the second book at Ace, but then we left and started Tor. So Tor would do the third book. But so far, he had only done these historicals. And I don't know why Ace never published Warrior of the Altai, which they won, mm -hmm. which they owned, and was one of the two first books that we bought from him. But I imagine what they thought is... The Robert Jordan name has is not known. He's being published as Reagan O'Neill. He's gone away. We'll probably never get another book from him. Why bother to rush to launch this fantasy from a guy we probably will never get another book from? Boy. So uh, 
They didn't. They sat on it until Harriet and Jim could get it reverted. But by that time, Arnold Schwarzenegger was doing a Conan movie. I had a contract tour to do Conan books. We thought, hey, the way to he's, Jordan has never been published. You know, just he's done these Fallon books under the Reagan O'Neill name. Uh, a way to start to get him known in fantasy is to do a book which takes advantage of this uh, publicity of the uh, Conan movie. So we did, we talked him into, he didn't really want to do it, but we talked him into doing a Conan book to release with the Schwarzenegger movie. And that was another hit. And he didn't think he'd like it at first, but he got a kick out of it and did so well he wrote some more Conan books. Wow. But while he was writing the Conan books, he was working on the side on what he thought would be his his really great work, and it was Wheel of Time. So way back in 84, we bought Wheel of Time. We never published it until he didn't, he wasn't ready to publish until 1990. Because I remember getting the galley at Book Expo. Yeah. And reading, I was like, oh my gosh, yep. this is amazing. Yep. But we did, we ended up doing six Conans, and he was working on the <laughs> Wheel of Time. Huh. And then, you know, uh, I remember Harriet said it'd be the manuscript for it. And, you know, I'd read his books before and I'd yeah. liked them. But she's saying, hey, either I got the wife thing or this is wonderful. This is much better than anything he's done. Uh, you got to read it. I said, okay. And I read it and I had the same feeling as you. Yeah. I thought, wow, this is great. Yeah, <laughs> it really, really was. And we, we decided to do it, which was not done much in those days. We're going to do it as a trade paperback because it's fat. And to try and launch a first, this was a first novel for Robert Jordan, mm -hmm. to try and launch a big, thick, very yeah. expensive book, we thought we'd have better luck doing it as a trade. And we did. We sold 40,000 copies, which in those days was great for a trade. Yeah. And the second book doubled it. And the third book, uh, we decided to do it in hardcover. And, you know, sales department went crazy. They said, you're doubling your sales. Why would you change what you're doing? <laughs> but we did it. And it hit the New York. It was the first one to hit the New York Times list. And the last seven books he wrote by himself were number one New York Times bestsellers. Yeah, no, it just built up yeah. an amazing, an amazing, just that whole universe. People just... Yeah, well, I, I got I got a real kick out of uh, last year when public broadcasting picked it, the whole fourteen book series as one of the hundred great American reads. That I didn't know that. That's great. Yep, that's great. And then Amazon Amazon bought the uh, television rights. I heard that. And they made this huge announcement that uh, Game of Thrones uh, was a wonderful show, and they'd done a wonderful job of production, and they'd spent a record six million a week to produce it. But Amazon was going to do even better with Wheel of Time, and they were going to spend $11 million a week to produce it. And they're filming now in Prague. They just started filming. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's, yeah. I knew it was good. they were doing it. I didn't know it was that Yeah, much. so that, that's pretty exciting for that's us. That's very exciting. You know, it'll probably come out in 91. I, oh, what am I saying? 91. Oh, 20, <laughs> 21. 21. <laughs> ah, oh. Yeah, I won't be around in 91. Years. Yes. <laughs> so... Um, with respect now, how so you've you've had your finger in the pulse of science fiction for uh, for several years now. So what do you see as the, as the future? We got short fiction and long fiction, fantasy, science fiction. There's an amalgam right now. Yeah, they're, they're not necessarily pure genres anymore. Yep. by and large, um, what do you see as the future of 
I guess I've just gave you about eight questions in a row right there. But <laughs> so since we're talking about from writers of future perspective, first of all, yeah. short fiction. Well, I think short fiction, you know, has we're doing quite a bit of short fiction on tour.com. And the better ones, and after an author will work at the novella length, uh-huh. we're doing some of those novellas in hardbound. So, there, you know, I always loved the uh, novella form. I right. thought it was a great art form. But it was kind of going away. You know, the magazines were, were not uh, as broadly circulated as they had been, and uh, they weren't buying the novella as much, mm. and nobody was writing them, and... So it's one of the things that I I really think that uh, it it was good that Tor dot com right. uh, could do them could make a success of them on the internet and enough of a success so that we're getting some great ones and doing them in hardcover and print. Okay. Uh, so I think there is a market good. and it'll that's, continue. That's, good that's very good to know. Yeah, I think uh, you know as far as the categories i don't think they'll ever untangle but i think we'll still do well like for for example well we found that some of the science fiction we did sold better if we called it techno thriller you know tom clancy was set in action on a you know, satellite mm-hmm. a few years in the future you know and, and selling his techno thriller and we found that when we were doing similar kinds of books uh you know, they were selling okay, but not great. Not nothing like what uh, they were accomplishing in the techno thriller thing. Yeah, so we Michael began, Crichton. yeah. <laughs> so we yeah. began doing some of those in, uh, in as techno thrillers, and we still do it. You know, mm-hmm. we uh, Doug Preston. You know, is very very good mm-hmm. for us. Uh, you know, he he's that kind of classic author, really. Yeah. Uh, we you know we did uh, Bill Clinton's. Uh, Secretary of Defense has done several for us. You know, the last one was uh, was uh, Impact. It was about the potential for an asteroid hitting the United States, and mm-hmm. you know, his feeling is we got to prepare for that. The uh, NASA came to us, and this was kind of neat. And the uh, of course, how to make you feel a little old? The head scientist said he came to tour because we had done I had published the books he grew up on <laughs> but, but thank you uh, he said he said look what I what we'd like to do is we'd like to bring you some great ideas and uh, free scientific consultation and you'll bring great storytellers to the ideas and maybe we can convince the public to do some of these things mm-hmm. like uh, he wants to build a space elevator. You, yeah, it's, it's neat. You put a satellite in geosynchronous orbit, and then uh, you put the machinery in to build a high-carbon filament cable. You drop cables, but at the same time, you shoot up another 20, a satellite 25,000 feet above that attached to the first satellite, centrifugal and centripetal forces balancing each other. Uh-huh. You put... You put uh, Solar Collectors, the book, by the way, is Pillar to the Sky by Bill Fortune. You put solar collectors on these uh, 25,000 miles above the atmosphere uh, of the second one, and uh, he figures that one of these things could create enough, bring us enough power to power the United States west of the Mississippi, clean, endless energy. Really? Yeah. 
And it's just it's, it's from it just beams down. Then is that no? You don't beam it down. That's the secret. You cable it down. You got a satellite yeah. up there. You, you build a cable, and you cable it down. And so there's enough power yeah. from that alone to do that. Yeah, and it's it, it's a much more efficient way of getting all the power, yeah. and it's much less dangerous way because broadcasting it down, you could fry yeah, things. So you can fly through it, and yeah, that was that. Yeah, and. Uh, he thought if we build a dozen of them, we could begin underselling coal to India and China. And because our prices were best for energy, we could begin cleaning the skies as we brought back enough money to pay for the whole thing eventually. Wow. So this kind of thing, I think, is a kind of exciting thing that's to get very involved exciting. in. So that's on the one end. On the yeah. other end is, uh, like I was telling you about uh, Robert Jordan's fantasy, you mm -hmm. know, where... If uh, we've, we've got uh, 14 books, and that would carry it for a lot of years if, if, the, if they make they, they the, the great show, show yeah. we got something going forward that's going to introduce an awful lot of kids to fantasy. That's right. And really fun fantasy, yeah. too. Now, one thing that always, I never asked you this question, but um, I saw you, you were receiving a Spur Award. Yeah. Several years ago at the World at the Writers, uh, Western Writers of America. So, um, which science fiction was that? Well, <laughs> How'd actually, that come about? Okay. That, that came about because I wanted to have a very broad definition of science fiction. Mm -hmm. You know, the techno thrillers of the future, you know, yeah. and the far future is straight science fiction, but then. That came back into techno thriller where we could sell more because more people thought they read techno thrillers. Right. And that, of course, brings you back to thriller. Right. But archaeology and anthropology are also sciences. Mm -hmm. So uh, a husband and wife team, uh, Mike and Kathleen Gear, uh, wanted to write about how the first people came to this continent, how they settled the basin of the Great Lakes or how they settled the Mississippi Valley or how they eventually crossed over and settled the, south, the southern Pacific shores. Mm -hmm. And uh, we started this series called The People Book. You know, people of the forest, people of the lakes, people of the yeah. river. Uh, and it was clear science fiction. You were taking anthropology and archaeology and constructing a world from an extrapolation from the best science available to us. Right. And how may, may people have lived there? But what this does, see, is it brings you forward. And eventually you come to first contact. Well, first contact is something a science fiction editor is very, you know, very familiar with. Mm -hmm. But think about it. There's also first contact between Stone Age North American and Industrial European. Very, you know, yeah. very different alien cultures that come together. So we began doing first contact novels, but some of them were more science fiction and some of them were more historical. But this leads you into straight historical, right. which leads you forward to World War II where the techno-thrillers had met the thrillers. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it was all based around science fiction, but it was taking the broad view that we don't limit it to physics mm -hmm. and chemistry in the future. We include things like archaeology and anthropology in the past. Right. That's amazing. So, I saw that. 
I see you all the time in all the science fiction conventions and comic cons and, and Western writers of America. How did that happen? So this is I'm because I, I attend yeah. it. Myself. Yeah, well, we wrote it. Wrote how the first people came to the various parts of the West. Wow! And how it constructed the best from the best archaeological anthropological information available. We did those civilizations. That's fascinating. All right, so uh, getting back now to the... Oh, then, of course, we did yeah. some straight westerns because once you're doing the one, you get the other, and if it's good... So was, was, the, uh, um, was the Spear Award for one of those first contact books, or was that for one of the westerns well, actually, that you we've later... had a number of Spur Awards. We've had them for both. <laughs> <laughs> you're too much. Okay. Right. <laughs> so... Um, in, in regards to purpose of rise of future is to help inspire um, you know the writers yeah. and, and artists and um, it also helps to to clear the 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 real good grain from the from the chafe yeah yeah so we talked a little bit about the, the value and importance of, of publishers as as a function yeah. itself in, in the world of reading. Can you discuss that a bit, please? Yeah, well, you know, a publisher, what it basically means is to make public. And we have people trained in all the various skills which help to make a book public. Mm -hmm. And almost nobody is an expert in everything. Right. You know, you have people that are great at marketing, people that are great at publicity, people that are great at promotion, people that are great at just straight old-fashioned selling to represent the book individually to the retailer who will handle the book, whether mm -hmm. it be the great independent bookstore in your hometown or a Walmart across the country. Mm -hmm. you got to have the right person who knows what that particular market needs because they need different things. Right. And they, demographics have to be considered. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's awful hard to be all things to all people. Yeah. You know, ed editing editing is very important. One of the problems authors have is they're too close to the subject at times. Right. And they think things are obvious that aren't really obvious to somebody who mm -hmm. hasn't been spending a sure. year. <laughs> right, in that world. In that world. Yeah. So, you know, a great editor is going to work. He's not trying to change the author's books. He's trying to help the author to to see all these things and to do the greatest book that the author can do, the best book the author can do. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to work with an author to, to help him to do the best he can do. And then it's a highly unusual person that can be great at the writing, which is such a special and a, the mm. basic skill to it all, Right. but also great at publicity, marketing, advertising, promotion. Yeah, selling. Yeah. How can you know all those things and keep up to date with all those things and do all those things? And a publisher, because that's his function, is able to do that. And I think, yes, you have some authors who are a tremendous success in self-publishing, but it's an awful hard thing to do. And I think for the great majority of authors, they're much better off to work with a traditional publisher finding, an, finding all, a, yeah. an agent and just yeah so that they and and why should if they're a great storyteller if they can write a great novel why should they be spending their time on 
selling and promotion. It would be better to take those hours and do another book. Mm-hmm. Good, good. So um, we have a lot of people that enter the contest. And like I told you, we've had our first winners now from Turkey and Iran. And um, any particular advice you'd give in terms of the future of science fiction and fantasy or what, you know, you having been familiar with it with the contest for so many years, yeah. you know, your own advice that you'd provide to the aspiring writer? Uh, I guess my advice is right from the heart. Write, write what you love, what you want, the story you want to tell, because that's what you'll do best. And the world is always going to be ready for the great story. That's good. It's good. And then um, I guess just the, any last, um, on the importance of, like, there's a few that are still exist there of, of like, the contests or competitions, yeah. you know, to, for the aspiring writer. But specifically, I'm obviously involved with writers of the future. Sure. The value of that to the future of, in this case, the genre of science fiction and fantasy. Oh, I think it's tremendous value. I think writers of the future has done so much to bring great talent forward and to, to kind of mother it and support it and teach it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think you know it. It's a, a different, uh, but a different aspect of the last question, you know, the value of a publisher to an author. I think you guys bring uh, great skills to an experience. And you bring in uh, so many great authors who can offer their skills and experience to teach the young new author that I think this is a very valuable thing you've been doing for the field and it, it will continue forever uh, as long as you can do it it will be well it was been it was funded by great. mr hubbard and started in, he launched it in 83 yeah. and he put in his will to continue funding it and so everything comes from him on that from his part of his legacy that's a that. great legacy it is yeah it is okay well thank you very much tom it's been a real pleasure uh, you know talking with you here at uh, world fantasy and thank you for listening Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Elrond Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to new and amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Tom. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs>